At this time, the children are dismissed for Children's Church, so kids, you can head out. And let's take our Bibles, and we will turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. As we come to this text, uh, sometimes when you preach about how a church is to treat a pastor, you feel a little self-serving as a pastor speaking on that subject. That's not the point this morning. We're going through the Scripture. We're seeing basically the Apostle Paul sharing with Timothy how he is to structure the church. And this is God's revelation to the church body as to how they're to interact with the leaders of the church, the pastors, the elders. It's biblical teaching concerning the honor and the respect that is due the position. Now, we've seen abuses of position to where a leader comes in and says, uh, I'm the leader, bow down before me, and certainly that's not what the Word of God is talking about in this passage. But what it is talking about is this. When we follow the biblical model of putting people into leadership who qualify biblically to be spiritual leaders, the church body should afford them a certain degree of respect. And that's what we find revealed here in this text. Now, as we come to the 17th verse, we find a question answered. How should the church treat leaders? And we find that the 17th verse shares with us that these leaders are to be honored. Notice what the Scripture says. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So the Word of God is beginning by sharing an important principle. There are ministries within the church that are directed by church leaders. They are those who direct the affairs of the church. They are those who are to be looked upon for leadership. And here's an important principle about leadership. You can't lead if no one follows. If you aren't afforded a degree of respect and you aren't looked upon as someone who will be given the opportunity to direct the affairs of the church, if you aren't respected, then it's impossible to lead. When we go to other passages of Scripture, we see this principle in multiple passages. One example is what we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where the Word of God says this, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. So the Word of God speaks very clearly of people who are directing the affairs of the church as worthy of respect. And so the Word of God is telling us that's what we should direct toward them. But I want you to notice something else. Look again at the 17th verse. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. Now, what does it mean to direct the affairs of the church? I like the way a couple of translations rendered this. The New American Standard renders it this way. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, the idea of rule is a pretty strong term, isn't it? More than just directing the affairs of the church, it's the idea that they have responsibility and leadership that's afforded them because of the position, and they are to actually rule. Now, I'm not saying that I expect a throne up here on the pulpit or that uh, we need a throne in Ian's office or Paul's office or Pastor Stuck's office. We're not saying that. 
Well, what we are saying is this. There is a degree of authority that's associated with those who lead in the church. The uh, King James renders it the same way. It's a very literal translation of what the Greek says when it says this. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So this is what the scripture is telling us, that there are leaders that God has appointed within the church, and they are to take on the responsibility of leading in a very serious manner. But the church is to respond to that leadership, and they are to listen to what the leaders in the church would have them do. But here's the balance. Follow the leadership that's given to those who are appointed by God to be church leaders, but always check what they say against the Word of God. A pastor cannot trump the Word of God. A leader can't say, put your Bible aside and do what I say. They have the responsibility and the accountability to follow what the Scripture says. So yes, they're given leadership, but that leadership has boundaries that are established in God's Word. And as long as they fulfill those boundaries, they're doing God's work. When they step outside those boundaries, they've stepped outside what God has ordained for them to do. So it's important that leaders keep that perspective and that a congregation holds their leaders accountable to follow the Scripture. Now, when the Scripture goes on in verse 17 to say that they are worthy of double honor, what does that mean? When we look in the Scripture, the word honor can carry with it one of two meanings. One meaning is respect or esteem, but another meaning is that of compensation. For instance, we would talk about an honorarium. And so, when the Scripture says worthy of double honor, what does it mean? Some commentators say a double stipend, a double pay. It's, it's the idea that's being brought out by Scripture. But some other commentators, and I sort of line myself with them, believe that double honor means both the esteem and the compensation. And here's what the idea is. Those who labor to do the work of the ministry need the opportunity to be able to focus on ministry. If they have to work a part-time job to support themselves, like Paul did as a tent maker, and then also carry on the work of ministry, it's difficult to pull both of those off. It's tough to work two full-time jobs. So what the Scripture is saying is, give them the opportunity to support themselves through the work of the ministry. Now again, this has been abused greatly. We've seen public figures who take exorbitant salaries and live extravagant lifestyles, haven't we? And unfortunately, that sullies people's view of those who are in ministry and those who get their living from ministry. What the Scripture is talking about, I believe, is balance. Not having someone who lives an extraordinary and extravagant lifestyle but also giving them the opportunity to gain their living from doing the work of ministry. And this is a biblical principle that's brought out as well by Paul in 1 Corinthians. Paul very simply says this, In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. It's a simple principle that if you're working full-time to serve the Lord, that you have that opportunity 
to find your financial support in that as well. And it's a principle as old as the Old Testament. When you look at the priests, the Levites, how did they find support to do the work of the temple? By the tithes and the offerings of the Jewish people. Portion went to them that they might have a living. They served in the temple, so they had the opportunity to make their living from that service. And it's true in the New Testament as well. Again, balance is key. Now, as I bring this up, I want to say this. I am so thankful for the generosity and the goodness of this church body. This church has put into practice these principles, and I'm thankful for that. I appreciate the way the church cares for their pastors, provides for them. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to serve on the staff here at Oaklawn Bible Church. So in bringing this up, I promise you I'm not taking a shot at the church or a stab at the church. For those of you who know me, you know that's not the case. For those of you who are new, you might wonder, where is he going with this? But let me assure you, I'm preaching it because I preach verse by verse. And this is the next part of the passage that we find in this text. And it's important for us to see the revelation of God and to have the whole counsel of God. So when the scripture talks about giving the pastors an honor, a double honor, I believe it's talking about both esteem, the respect, and also the responsibility of giving them support. And to really support this interpretation, go on to the 18th verse. And notice what the scripture says. Here we find two texts that... Paul uses as examples of this principle, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. In the 18th verse, notice he says, for, now that shows us that there's there's going to be an explanation, for the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading the grain. Now, I love being compared to an ox. Isn't that special? (laughs) But the principle is this, as the ox was treading the grain and it got a little hungry, it got to stick its face down in the grain and have a taste. So that's the Old Testament principle. And we find in Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading the grain. Straight out out of the law, it's a principle that's to be put into practice, okay? So Paul is taking an Old Testament law and saying there's application even for the New Testament for the Christian worker. But then he goes to the book of Luke for his second statement, the worker is worthy of his wage, and here he quotes Luke, a New Testament author, and he says this, stay in that house eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, there are a couple of interesting things about Paul's choices. Number one, he's making a statement, and that's his primary purpose. He wants people to understand the responsibility to support those who do full-time Christian work. But as a sidelight, we also see something else that's interesting. You know what the Word of God is establishing? That Luke is just as much Scripture as Deuteronomy, the law. Now, for us, we will say, hey, of course, I understand that. I know Luke is Scripture, just like the Old Testament is Scripture. But remember this. This is early on in the church history. To give credibility to a New Testament author and say that he's on par with the law had great things to say to the Jewish audience. 
He was establishing the fact that Luke is Scripture just as much as Deuteronomy, the law, is Scripture. So it was an important point. But the point that he's making is very clear. The worker deserves his wage. The ox deserves his grain. And so that's an important part of understanding how leaders are to be treated. But then the text goes on. After being compared to an ox and then a worker worthy of his wage, look at verse 19, and we find that further counsel is given, hold no accusation against elders unless there are two or three witnesses. Now, look at what the Scripture says. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. What the Scripture is talking about here is protection for the elder. Let me tell you something. Work in ministry long enough and you're going to honk somebody off. Basic fact of life. And sometimes when people get really irritated, you know what they do? They lash out. They start becoming critical. They start becoming accusatory. And so any elder that is open to the criticism and the accusatory nature of someone who has become upset with them, they're just kind of out there. They're vulnerable. And it can really do harm to the work and the ministry of the church. So you know what the Scripture says? Don't even allow someone to say a word unless they have two or three witnesses. Now, this is a principle that's brought out in the Old Testament as well. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says this, one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense he may, be, may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, there has to be credibility. You can't just allow someone who comes and willy-nilly throws out an accusation to make it because the leader might be subject to false accusation. Now, in my experience in ministry, I've had to deal with false accusation. And I'll tell you, it's disheartening, it's hurtful, it makes you wonder where this is going to lead, what's going to become of my ministry, what's going to become of me. And when it's unfounded false accusation, it can be devastating to the pastor and it can be devastating to the church body, causing terrible division. The safeguard that Scripture has is this. Make sure that you have an established accusation before you take it anywhere. Make sure that there's truth to it. Make sure that you investigate, and if they can't come with two or three witnesses, then tell them to go back home. That's the idea. There must be protection. But, in some instances, pastors can err. Because in the 20th verse, after it talks about the importance of these two or three witnesses, it goes on to talk about the importance of establishing the accusation and publicly speaking toward the sin of the elder who commits sin. Notice what we find in the 20th verse. Those are who are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. 
So those who sin, they're to be rebuked publicly so that others can take warning. Now what the Scripture is telling us is this. When a leader sins, you need to treat him with the same seriousness and discipline that you would treat anyone else with. There's not to be partiality shown. See, churches get into trouble sometimes because what they do is, if a leader is involved in sin, they try to sweep it under the rug. They look at it and say, oh, this is going to reflect poorly on the church. If this person's involved in sin, oh my goodness, we don't need that kind of publicity. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this sin and this leader and we're going to hush it. We're going to keep it real quiet. And then we're going to kind of slip him aside while no one's looking and just go on like nothing happened. Not biblical. You know what the Scripture says? That the elder who's found to be in sin is to be rebuked publicly, not swept under the rug. Previous church where I served, after I had left for several years, they brought in a man as the senior pastor, and what they discovered after a few months was that he had been involved in an affair with the secretary of the church before he came to that church. The church quietly ushered him out because they didn't want to have to deal with all of the terrible consequences of it. Didn't say a word during the interview process when asked about his character. And as a result, when he came to the new church, he followed the same pattern of sin and crushed the church as a result. It was terrible what they did in not talking to him about it, sharing with the church that was considering him the potential danger, and certainly not bringing it before their church body. The Scripture is very clear. If he's found to be in sin, he is to be rebuked in front of everyone. And it does two things. One, it helps people to see that pastors have struggles as well. And then two, it puts pastors in a place to where they have to understand that if I fall into sin, that sin can be made public. It has a dampening effect. And that's why the Word of God says this. And then, look as we continue at verse 21. The seriousness of this is very, very clear. It goes on to say, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. What the Scripture is saying is very serious at this point. The formula where he says in front of Jesus Christ and the elect angels is speaking of judgment. And we find this formula in other passages of Scripture. For instance, in Mark chapter 8 it says this, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him, now look at this, when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. This formula is also found in the book of Revelation and several other passages. It has to do with judgment. So what the Scripture is saying is this. The church needs to take keeping purity 
within its leadership very seriously. And we need to view it as seriously as we would anything else before a holy God and His holy angels. Because God will evaluate us on these things. It's a sober warning. Now, what's the warning? The Scripture says that these things are to be observed. This holding the pastors accountable. This is to be observed without partiality and without favoritism. See, partiality and favoritism could do harm. Suppose you look at the pastor and you say, but we like this guy. We'll give him a pass. Suppose you have an elder that's very popular and you're looking and you're saying, boy, you know what, if, if this gets out, you know, the popularity of the leadership in this church will be tarnished. It will be hurt. I, I like him. I don't want to see him go through the struggle of all of this. Suppose that's your motivation. The Scripture makes it clear that we're not to show favoritism. We're not to show partiality. We're to look at what God's Word says, and we are to treat everyone in light of the objective truth that God gives us in His revelation, not our feelings in any given moment. And that's important for us to grasp. Malachi says this, So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. God was calling the Jews to task because of their favoritism and partiality. James says very simply, my brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ don't show favoritism. So what we're to do in implementing these things is to not show favoritism. The church body has that responsibility. Now, as we progress through the text, we also come to more principles concerning leaders. And look at verse 22, and we find some counsel given as to how we transition people into leadership. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we saw some wonderful qualifications that were so clearly given about what a leader is to be like. I would encourage you after church, go home and reread 1 Timothy chapter 3. See what a leader is to be like. But here's the thing. In order to make an evaluation as to the qualifications of a person, their character, their integrity, you have to know them for a little bit. You have to observe them. You have to see, does this person measure up to what God has established as far as leadership? We have to be careful to not be hasty in appointing someone into an important leadership role. It's something that we should grow into. That's why verse 22 says this. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sin of others. Now what we're talking about here in the laying on of hands is really an ordination a recognition by the church that this person is now a leader of the church and he has important responsibilities. A little later in the service, we're going to be laying hands on Ian and praying for his ministry. Now, some of you might say, well, he's only been here a few weeks. Why are you doing that? We had a search committee that did uh, an intensive exam of character references, making sure that he had the character integrity that a pastor should have before we brought him on to our staff. They did their homework. 
They checked references. And so we can with confidence lay our hands on Ian today and say he's a part of our church staff. He has leadership. We're behind him in his ministry. It's important for us as a church to identify him as that. But sometimes churches can be hasty in laying hands on others that they haven't really examined. They look at someone and they say, now this person has a lot of charisma and they're very articulate. So because they have so much charisma and they're so articulate, you know what we're going to do? We're going to elevate this person to elder or to even a pastor. It's dangerous when that happens. Because what happens, look again at this verse, verse 22. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. You know what happens? If you get a person who has bad integrity, poor character, and you as a church identify him as someone to follow, and then they go astray, you are in essence involved in his leading others astray because you have sanctioned his work and his ministry. The warning to Timothy was this. If you put someone into leadership too quickly, then you bear responsibility for when his ministry goes wrong. It sullies your reputation, the church's reputation, as well as his. So be careful. Make sure that you do your homework. Make sure that you look into this person's character. Make sure that you've put someone into place who deserves to be in leadership because of the qualifications revealed in God's Word. Not because you look at them and think they would be good, but looking at what Scripture has said and seeing if they fit what God's Word has said. Now, when we come to verse 23, I knew this one was coming. It's the passage that says, Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. Now, this has been used as a polemic to support use of alcohol. And then some even take it and say it should only be used medicinally. Of course, the ailments seem to multiply as to what you can use the wine for. You know what I think? I don't think Paul's even addressing the issue of drinking or not drinking in this passage. You know what he's saying? Ministry can give you a stomach ache. <laughs> so, so when it does, take a remedy. Take the wine. Understand that there's an important aspect to making sure that you're healthy and that you're taking care of yourself under the stress of ministry. I think there's also something else that's going on here. An issue in the church at Ephesus where Timothy was serving was that there were many aesthetics who would come in and they would say, don't eat certain foods, don't drink certain things. And what the Word of God is telling Timothy and telling us in this passage is this. It's not what goes into us that defiles us. It's what comes out of us that shows an already defiled heart. So we need to be careful in that. 
Your holiness doesn't depend necessarily on what you put into your body. So be careful to judge, to not judge. And be careful to not allow others to judge you as well. I think that's the point that's being made when he says to Timothy that he is to stop drinking water only. Those monks were saying, you can only drink water, you can only eat bread, you can only eat vegetables. Stay away from all these foods. Stay away from all of this. Paul wanted Timothy to understand that. But then, as we come to verse 24, we find a final warning. The uh, 23rd verse was a sidebar. No joke meant on the bar part. But look at verse 24. And notice what verse 24 says. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and then those that are not cannot be hidden. So let's talk about this for a moment. There are some people, verse 24, that you look at and their total lack of character Their sinful lifestyle is obvious to everyone who sees them. Even a passing interaction with them makes it clear that the Word of God has no place in their life. They're committed to sin. They're committed to doing their own thing. And that's just the way it is. And you can see that right away. But then, the group that we really have to be concerned about would be the next group. The sins of others trail behind them. Some people that we come into contact with can talk a good game. They've learned to hide their sin. They learn how to be one thing when they're around Christians and another thing when they're around other people. And so it's not as obvious that they're going to lead others into sin because they've learned to be stealthy about it. They've learned to hide their character flaws. And when we look at this in the context of this passage, what it's talking about really is leaders. Once again, if we're hasty in appointing the wrong leader, Maybe we haven't had enough time to get to know them well enough to know that, hey, you know what? There are some serious problems in this person's life. Their sins are trailing behind them. We need to be careful in that and understand that. It's not always obvious. It takes time. And that's why the Word of God gives us this warning. Many a church has been harmed by the leader that comes in, presents a good Sunday face, and then behind the scenes there's wreckage that occurs. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's slander. Maybe it's false teaching. You can plug almost anything into that, but what we discover is in the wake of their leadership, there's damage and their sins are trailing behind them. They're not right out front where everybody can see them. So the warning to Timothy and to all churches is to be careful about who you place in leadership. 
But then, look at verse 25. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Once again, there are some people that we look and we say, look, this person, really solid in their service to the Lord and the church body. We can see it. And it's right out front. But you know what? There are other people who, behind the scenes, quietly serve the Lord. And maybe everybody doesn't know what they're doing. It eventually comes to light. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've done a funeral. And then during the eulogy, things come out about what this person did. How they served the community. How they served the church. The behind-the-scenes ministry finally comes out and it's revealed. And even family members say, I never knew they did that. Guess what? They were doing it in service to the Lord. So sometimes the person that we look at and say, oh, they're not really doing anything, maybe hasn't subscribed to the book of Hesitations, which says, Tootest thou not thine own horn, and the same shalt not be tooted. <laughs> maybe they're just quiet about it. Maybe they're serving the Lord behind the scenes, and people just don't know. So that, again, is why we need to be careful in choosing a leader. Sometimes those leaders that are the behind-the-scenes people have the depth that we want. And it's important that we recognize that. This morning we've seen the importance of choosing good leaders. Once again, I have to give Oakland Bible Church an A in appointing, appointing elders and in choosing leaders. I'm thankful for the godly people that God has given to our staff and, and to the leadership of this church body. Very thankful for what God is doing in leading this church. But we have to continue to follow these godly teachings. We have to continue to put into practice what God's Word has revealed about how we're to treat our leaders and how we're to transition to good leaders. Make sure that as a church body, you pray for the leadership of this church and for Oakland Bible Church itself. I'm so thankful for what God is doing. I'm excited about what God is doing and where He's taking our church for the future. And it's great to see God at work through the leaders of this church. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the Word of God, for the direction that it gives us on everything. And Father, I pray that our church will be faithful. Faithful to lead. Faithful to appoint leaders who should lead. And Father, faithful most of all to your service. May we be pleasing to you, Lord. May we be used of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> I am very, very grateful for that. And also, I want to just say that I have some family and friends yes. who are here from the church that I grew up in. So, afterwards, if you encourage to bother them, say hi, and greet all of them. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing this last Hey, uh, can, we have, can we embarrass them by having just them stand first and then everyone join them? If you're here with uh, Ian's posse. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
Now everybody can stand.